0: Well, again, welcome to each of you that are in this room, each of you that are out in in your cars, or those that may be watching at home a little bit later. So glad that you are here with us this morning. This is part five of our study that I've called Dear Church. And the basic premise of this study is that in a world that is falling apart, what many of us might expect or hope, is a message from God to the world that is falling apart. But that's not largely what we find in the book of Revelation. This letter of Revelation, inside it are seven letters of from Jesus to seven unique churches. And the letters are not um, messages for the world, but instead are messages for the church. And that's contrary to to what we've come to expect. In America, we are accustomed to what was known as anti-tribe messages. That is, that that we've created all of these tribes that are really not about anything that we're for. It's just all these messages of, of the people and the groups that we are against, that we just kind of have a new group that rises up against another group or another tribe. That's what we're accustomed to. But the letters to the seven churches of Asia remind the church who she is for. We started with Ephesus, this church that had a lot of things going for it. They they had the right doctrine, but they had lost their love. We moved to the, the city of Smyrna, and there they were facing some very harsh persecution and jesus says that the the persecution is actually going to get much worse last week we looked at the the city at pergamum the church there located at at pergamum and they also were facing some persecution and their their challenge was how are they going to live in the world and not be of the world this morning we turn our attention To Thyatira, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, Jesus says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira. To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned the sac- Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The city of Thyatira is one that we know the least about. It is, it is uh, the, the city of the seven that, that is the least ex- excavated, and, and we know very little about it. But what Jesus says about this church is that he knows their deeds. He knows of their their love, their faithfulness, their perseverance. And he says that they are doing more now than they did in the beginning. And let's not just gloss over that. This is significant. Because remember, the the natural course of nature is, is not growth. It's atrophy. I'm reminded of this each and every day whenever I wake up. There was a time not long ago that I could be as active as I wanted and wake up and just go. And now I'm at the age that I start to forget what I did that, w- that made something hurt. And I know that there's a day coming where I'm just going to hurt and I don't have to do anything. That atrophy, it's just the natural progress of life, the human body. And it's that way with organizations, with, with groups of people as well. But not for this church. This church is being very intentional about growing. Jesus says they, they are doing more in love and deeds and faithfulness than they were in the beginning. But he has a problem with them just like he does with most of the other churches. And the problem with the church at Thyatira is the sin of tolerance. Now, tolerance doesn't sound like much of a sin for us in a a culture that actually values tolerance. The comedian George Carlin said that religion is like shoes. You find a pair that fits you, but just don't ask that I wear yours. And that is the highest value in our culture. But Jesus says that there is a woman whose real name probably isn't Jezebel. This is a reference to another story in the Israelite history. The wife of King Ahab. And Jezebel's sin in, during her time was that she fed and housed and protected the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. Now, I know that, again, it's difficult for us to imagine what it is like to worship idols. But just imagine being in a society where everyone is prospering except you. And so you begin to inquire, you begin to ask questions about what it is that they are doing that is allowing them to prosper. And and what you discover is that they have these practices that are incorporated into their farming. And they believe that's what allows their crops to flourish and yours don't. They believe in these gods of fertility. And that's what Baal and Ashtoreth were. And so they would engage in these sexual acts before their gods in order to arouse them so that the fertility would spread all across the land. And the Israelites followed Jezebel. And now the church at Thyatira, they are allowing this woman to teach the same message. One of the things that we know about the city of Thyatira is that it was a, a city that ha, had more trade guilds than any other city. And in the trade guilds, there were, were practices associated with gods. In order to, to practice any kind of trade, you had to, to worship these gods. They, they would hold these feasts. And the meal that you ate was a meal that was sacrificed to a specific God. And then afterwards, they would bring out the prostitutes. And you would be encouraged to engage in specific practices with those prostitutes. So here are these Christians living in this culture, and their pressure is not from outright persecution it's not fear of physical harm in the way that it was at the in the city of Pergamum or in the city of Smyrna but instead their pressure is economic and Jesus says that sometimes tolerance is a sin now there is a a form of tolerance that the scripture encourages for us to have that we are to to be um, tolerant with our brothers and sisters, that relationally we 're to bear with them, that we are to 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 hold on to unity, but there is a kind of tolerance that Jesus is against, reminded of the story of Abraham Lincoln meeting with General McClellan as they began to strategize. For war. And Lincoln asked General McClellan, How many legs does a horse have if you count the tail as a leg? General McClellan said, Well, it's, it's five. Abraham Lincoln said, No, it is four. It doesn't matter what you call a tail. It is not a leg. And Jezebel is encouraging the church to accept what the Bible calls sin as just something that is acceptable. It's what you simply have to do to get by in culture. And specifically, what they are engaging in, it is connected to sex practices. The ancient city of Pompeii, I'm told that that there are walls that, that are... Uh, still painted with depiction of various sexual acts. And, this, and Pompeii being a port city, and you have all of these travelers and all of these people selling their trades coming into this port city, and those murals were a sort of menu where you ordered what you wanted. While that is in the city of Pompeii, it's not out of bounds to imagine that that is something similar to what is taking place inside these trade guilds. And Jezebel says that there are some things you just simply have to accommodate to culture. But Jesus says what you tolerate, it will replicate and it will eventually suffocate you. While they're dismissing it something that is just physical and it's not connected to their faith at all, Jesus says that your sexuality, it is connected to your spirituality. Your body is how you live out your faith. You can't separate the two. Whenever I was a youth minister, I, I prepared a devotional once for the group of kids that I I prepared some brownies for our gathering and after everyone grabbed one and at least took a bite, I told them that, that, uh, I asked them if the brownies were okay and and explained that um, while I was making the brownies that that I had this cat that kind of got up into the brownies and uh, while I had my back turned, but not to worry because I got all of the the poop out of the, the, the brownies, at least I think I did. And then I watched as they just began to gag. And I thought it was funny at the time. Now, if someone were to do that to me now, I don't think it would be quite so funny. But why is it? That whenever it comes to what we put in our mouth, we are so anxious. We are so protective over the cleanliness of it. But what we do with our minds and our bodies... We're not. Jesus is concerned. Because immorality, it is, in essence, idolatry. It is a symptom of idolatry. What you do with your body, it it says something about the God that you believe in. I agree with A.W. Tozer, who said the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. That's why all the way back at the beginning of time, Satan came to Adam and Eve and posed the question, did God really say? What do you believe about God? It will change the way that you live. And sometimes we get caught up in in these messages about morality just simply for morality's sake. We, we make an argument from pragmatism that, that it's just beneficial. The Republican senator from Nebraska in his book, Them, Why We Hate One Another and How to Heal, a, a great book that, that kind of lays out some of the, the political divide that we have and and how to, to speak to one another. At, at the beginning of that book, he's kind of setting the stage for Um, explaining the the current circumstance of our, our culture. And he identifies the key to overcoming poverty. That if you will graduate high school, get married, and then have children, that you are so many more times likely to overcome or not fall into poverty but get any one of those three out of order and your chances of of entering into poverty increase significantly. And that's true. But that's not why we care about morality. We care because God cares. Paul would write in Romans chapter 1, The people, knew, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful de- desires of their hearts. And notice that that sexuality is always connected to your view of God. So it says He gave them over in their, to the sinful desires in their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Don't be so naive to just simply look at the, the cultures of, of years ago, of, of centuries gone by, and say, we aren't like them. Because our behavior betrays the gods that we serve. That's why Joseph, as he was serving in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife comes after him, makes sexual advance after sexual advance, says that "That my master hasn't held anything from me except for you, and he says, but how can I sin against God? He doesn't say, how can I do this against Potiphar? He recognizes that to engage in this act, it is idolatry. In the same way, David, after sinning with Bathsheba, says against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Many of you face the same temptation that the church at Thyatira did. There are some that because of the industry that you work in, whenever you get to together with your coworkers, their the gathering place is the, the strip club. Or to some other place where where there is banter and things going on that is not befitting of the holiness that you have been called to live. Why is it that so many Christians will use the same rhetoric that the world does? That it doesn't hurt to look. Why is it that so many Christian women read books like Fifty Shades of Grey? Is it because we are pursuing God with all of our hearts or is it because we are simply accommodating to the world around us that we fear not knowing what the world knows? That somehow we are missing out on something. Notice that's what, what Jesus says to the church at Thyatira that, that Jezebel is somehow using this language of these, these deep truths, these deep secrets. But sometimes ignorance is bliss because grace, grace makes us serious about our holiness. Paul was preaching about grace harder than anyone ever has. And then he comes back and says, should we keep on sinning? By no means. Sin is no longer our ruler, that we have a new ruler. At the end of the book he says I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Perhaps that is some of your greatest fear. Is that there are conversations that you just feel like you're missing out on and so you want to watch that show. You want to read the book. You want to go to the the bar. But idolatry is taking anything that is created and using it for something that only the Creator can provide. Anytime we we are stressed out and, and we turn to food or we turn to another human being or we turn to alcohol or some other substance more than we turn to God, we are taking what is created and we are elevating it to a status Uh, as as if it is a God, and we are worshiping it. And we are no different than the world that is around us. And what is truly remarkable about Jesus is he says to Jezebel, or he says to the church, that, that I've given Jezebel a chance to repent because he's so full of grace. And to the church, he says, for the love of God. Stop tolerating. Stop tolerating what God hates. Start pursuing holiness. And make no mistake, holiness is not just a new set of behaviors, it is a new affection. Too many of us as adults are still asking these immature teenage questions. How far is too far? How much can I get away with? How close can I get to the line without falling over? But you see, whenever you are totally enwrapped in someone, the question isn't, how much can I get away with? Whenever you are married and you are totally in love, you are totally committed to your spouse. The question is not how many guys can I go out with before they start to get jealous. The question isn't how much money can I spend before before they start to get upset? Instead, because of your affection for them, you are totally in pursuit of being as close to them as humanly possible. And church, that is what Jesus wants of you. To repent. To hold on to what is true. Hold on to the love, the faithfulness, and endurance. Let's pray. Holy Father, I come confessing my own sinfulness. Confessing that that too often I justify my behavior as somehow being better than those around me. Father, I ask that you would help us all to ask a new set of questions. Help us to pursue you with all of our being. And Father, I thank you for the grace that demonstrates your love for us that that abounds more and more. And may our love abound with that. I pray this through Christ. Amen. If you'd like to respond to the message this morning, our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center. I'll be at the front. You can come asking for prayers, or maybe you need to come to Christ for the first time to be baptized into him so that you can live a new life and stop being uh, an idolater, stop living in obedience to these false gods, but instead pursue the one God that, that can truly deliver. Let's stand and sing together.